Good morning, everybody. Today's kind of a special day. Can you tell? Uh, so we got some, you know, our friends from On The Go Joe back there uh, with the gourmet coffee bar. You can, you can practice your swagging at this uh, photo wall right here. I hope you came dressed to impress so you can really just uh, share on social media what God is doing here. But this is a big day for us, and I want to welcome anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time, or maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, and also those of you who come here every week, I don't want to leave you out. Uh, welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome uh, to some of our special guests who are here with us today. I see a few pastors in the room that I just want to acknowledge. I see Pastor Rick Kerr here from the Near West Vineyard. Rick, would you just wave at us? Uh, dear friends, one of our regional overseers from uh, Vineyard USA, Brenda Gatlin is here. And I see uh, Mike Yoder is um, uh, the, senior, the new senior pastor at our sending church in Urbana. Uh, he is here uh, to represent our, our sending church and to just celebrate with us. So, Mike, would you wave? And I see my dear friends, uh, Ray and Teresa Maldonado, who are actually the parents of our, our pastor, David Maldonado. Dear friends, missions partners, uh, they're here all the way from Florida visiting with us. And so thank you guys for being here as well. And so I'm being told that we need everybody to kind of scooch in. If you would just scooch in, you probably don't know what that word means, but you can tell by context clues, we want you to move in toward the center of your row, if you can, as to make uh, room for those who are coming in. And as you do that, I just want to say that uh, back in last April, we started what we were calling our more than we can imagine uh, building campaign. If you've been tracking with us, you know that we had the opportunity a couple years ago to purchase this place after renting it for eight years. They made us, we made them an offer that they refused once. We made them a second <laughs> offer, and they accepted it. And we got this nine-acre uh, property, uh, 24,000 square foot, Jewish Community Center for half a million dollars. And we had to spring into action, and just our little church banded together in just a few months and we raised enough to get the down payment, to put a new roof, and we've been rolling. We still got a few more months uh, on this campaign, and today we have raised almost $300,000. That's what you, you have given. And so this is, might I add, on top of steady and increasing giving. So this is in addition to you giving your tithes and offerings and our friends from the Urbana Vineyard, and even a church in this community gave us both like five-figure gifts. And so God just really, really showed out on us. And so this whole more than we can imagine idea has been like the, the giving campaign theme, but really this can really sum up our whole 10-year existence as a church, as the Lord has constantly done exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask or think. Some of you have forgotten what this room used to look like. Mike, do we, can you put up that picture? This is what this room used to look like. Old, musty gym uh, with all, you know, wood ceiling. And it's over the course of people just getting involved. You can keep cycling through those pictures. Took the basketball rims down, did landscaping, painted the hallways, ceiling, worked on the stage, all these things. And so in this calendar year, I believe we've seen the surface work or surface depiction of what God has been doing beneath the surface for the last nine years, and we have just been experiencing the more of the Lord. 
And so the goal today is to celebrate that with those who have been laboring and co-laboring with us and even our friends and family who have flown in from different places, drove in from different places to come and celebrate with us. This is what today is about. It's about celebration, it's about remembering, and it's about worshiping God in response. And so I think in order to do that well, we we prepared a video to watch just sort of set our time today, and I'll come back after this video, and uh, we'll get on with the program. So you can roll that video. I think Jesus loves the South Suburbs. I feel like he sent us here because he loved the South Suburbs. Not because we're awesome, not because we're the best thing going, but because somebody in this community, dozens, hundreds of people, needed what we uniquely provide in order to connect with God and be excited about faith and excited about being transformed. I think the combination of all the different personalities that make our church our church is what God specifically put together because he loved the people in this area. Ten years. A decade. Ten years. That's a long time. Wow! That was the fastest decade of my life by far. It seemed like it went by it went by like that. I think about that phrase, the days are long, but the years are short. But as we sit down and talk about the memories, tell the stories, and look at pictures, we're like, man, a lot of time has passed. Like, we look different. I look at pictures from when we first started, and I look at how young everyone is or how young everyone looks. Even to think back, I'm, I'm like... <laughs> we were just babies, and we thought we knew everything. It was just so obvious that God was so gracious to us. It's crazy to think that we started off our church in the basement of St. Paul Community Church on Dixie Highway. The early days where we're setting up all the chairs and putting up the TV and then the uh, second Sunday we're there where Shannon's just preaching to the church plant team. I kind of like looked behind me and there was no one. Nobody. No one else. (laughs) in the space. For a couple weeks, there was just like one or two people in the audience. There wasn't a big crowd, but there was an anointing that was in the place. Like It has to be God. Like There is no other reason why people would come to a basement of a church. Our kids' church. In the beginning, it was just Nikki and I and the two original kids we started with. So Cam, me and him were the first kids' church kids. We were just energetic and ready to go and do this thing. I think about those original 11 adults and two babies. And then I think about the addition of Alicia. And I think back to Annie, Mary's Mike, and she's part of this original team. Just watching that original team that planted this church become different in their leadership. I just see a team that is still humble, a team that can still knock it out of the park. I feel like God has given us this unique gift of longevity with our core team. To watch our church evolve from that moment to now where we own a building and have a congregation of people who are literally walking out the vision that God's given Shannon and Gino has just been really exciting to be a part of. Unfortunately, I wish we were there from the beginning. (laughs) I have found great friendships here. Friends who have seen me through really difficult moments. Jordan. You came and you prayed for me. Gino reached out to me 
at my lowest low. I will never forget the impression that India and Yvette and Mandy made. Yvette and Ramon. They are two of the most humble and sincere people that I've ever met. Nikki and Jordan have been awesome. Just the other day I noticed how Denise was so sweet to my dad. The Robersons. Mark and Shante. The Dales have made a big impact on us. I absolutely love the single ladies. Mandy's awesome. Diane Hackworth. David Jacob. He is my teacher, preacher, mentor. Cassandra as well has had a big impact on me. Well, we have Nikea here. (laughs) My future wife. Marisol. Tracy. Mike Wilson. Bobby and Lena. Nunya and Craig. Eugene. Tisa. Laura and her family. Giovanni and Pat. The Bacons. Alicia. Judy. Jenny. Don and Debbie. Everyone. I also think about certain families who are no longer here with us but helped us get through a certain season. I think about Ann and Tony Sappho. Dave and Lisa Flores. Katie Beef. The Archers. Steve and India Peugeot. The Bladens. Mm-hmm. Mark and Jesse Embry. The Meskins. All those families aren't here part of our community anymore, but they were a part of us for a season and we just love them. I came back recently. Um, and they walk with me with open arms like I've never left, and that is a rarity in my life. It's just like when you walk into a place where love is. The South Suburban Vineyard means family. These are the shoulders that we can touch and that we can cry on, and these are the people that we can laugh together and share a meal with. Another space of home. It's kind of like a home I could be myself at. I expressed who I was, and I was accepted. You don't feel like you have to be somebody else. You want a place where you feel safe, and loved, challenged. We have this culture of candor where we talk things out. For me, that's how I need to be challenged. You know, sometimes being called on the carpet for me is what I need. We've just created this space where God speaks so clearly and so boldly, and people are encouraged to to act on what they hear from the Lord in a way that's just really encouraging and empowering. Whatever level that you're on in your journey with Jesus, this church will challenge you to go one more step farther. Love God, love people, and live it out. Love God, love people, live it out is very simplistic and minimalistic. I love that that is on our shirts. It's on our invitations. It isn't easy, but it's simple. It simplifies the Christian life. The underlying theme of every activity and everything that goes on here. The core values of this church is about really caring for people. I'm find myself consistently working to make that my mission every day. Because it has been demonstrated to me, I have started demonstrating that same love to other people. I think that is solid, fertile ground to build a church upon. If I can send every thought, every action, every word through the sieve of, does this love and honor God, or is this honoring to people like? It is just clarifying and it's simplifying in a way that is just refreshing. You know, you can't fake love. I feel 10 years is a good time to kind of stop and reflect and also just to dream and hope and pray for what the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years will be for our church. It's really exciting to dream about what God can do. I love a vision that can stand the test of time. This vision of a large, multicultural, multi-ethnic church planting church was like very much an important piece of this. And then here we are 10 years later, and I feel like we still want to be a large, <laughs> multi-ethnic, multicultural church planting church yeah. that extends the, the kingdom of God. I think the world is struggling with a lot of stuff right now, and God really wants to use 
churches like this to engage some of those issues. We're hoping that we can contribute to that in a meaningful way in the South Suburbs of Chicago. Really show his face to, mm. to a world that needs to see the physical manifestation of Christ. Our church is a good model for the Church of Christ as a whole because we're living in such a divisive time. This example is a model of what the church is to be. There's no greater sign that the kingdom has come, that people of different stripes can come together under a common purpose that is bigger than any agenda that we could have. A church like this can transform you. It's had an impact on me in ways that like I never even imagined. Because the world is so diverse, I want to see the community in which I'm worshiping in the same way. That's kind of what God intended. Mm, snapshot of heaven. Man, our kids need this. Our kids that will grow up in this church and in this community, like difference will be normal. Like homogeneous environments will be the thing that is weird to them, you know? Everyone's welcome. We're worshiping the same. We're getting along. And if the world sees that, you know, this is how we spread the gospel by, you know, our example. Gina will talk about our church as Love University and just how we're learning to love people who are different than us. And so I think the multi-ethnic, multicultural church, multi-generational church, a church that at its core teaches people to value difference rather than just put up with it. I don't think there's a better, more necessary expression of Christian community. I hope that we are a large church, but that we don't lose all the good things that come from being a small congregation. I see that we will need to have multiple services, that we will be so big. As the church becomes large, I hope that means large in love and depth and discipleship. I see our student ministry expanding. I see our kids ministry expanding. The youth that are in our youth rooms today are going to be leading us. I'm expecting God to start blowing up in this place with miracles. The signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit of people being healed from sickness and diseases. For the vineyard to reach beyond just its constituents, but reach, you know, regionally and internationally. I believe that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even yes, think. I believe that churches are going to be planted out of this church. Amen. I'm just thankful for what we've started and I'm hopeful for what's to come. Ten years. Um, you know, I've been crying a lot uh, because I guess a word that might sum up how I've been feeling lately is, is overwhelmed. I mean, you know, you can be overwhelmed in a bad overwhelming way, and you can be overwhelmed in a good way. And when I say overwhelmed, I mean you know, overwhelmed by the kindness and the goodness and the generosity of God. And I mean, you know, that when you're overwhelmed in that way, it's, it's foolish to try to gather yourself, right? And so I, I can't promise that I would keep it together today. I, I can't promise because God's been so good to us. He's been so merciful and I saw a meme online today that says, when God called you, he already factored in your stupidity <laughs> and your arrogance and the ways that you need to be humbled and brought down to size. And I'm so thankful that God factored that in uh, when he called me, but I'm overwhelmed. And I, 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 to be honest, I subconsciously ponder about like when the bottom is going to fall out of this thing because God can't possibly continue to be this good to a small group of nobodies 
that left everything chasing a vision. But I'm totally wrong when I think that because God can and will continue to be this good to a small group of nobodies who just said yes to him. And so each and every time we sit around the basis and come back to another anniversary you know, year, I, I have to pause. I have to pause and thank the original squad, the OGs, that, uh, <laughs> that left because God stirred within them and they came at my invitation to leave their whole lives and to start all over, not knowing what it would look like. We had plenty of failure stories, plenty of horror stories, some success stories, but they, we didn't know what this would look like. And I asked them to come, and, and they said yes. And not only did they say yes, um, but we were last week we were hanging out uh, at that 10-year anniversary, and we, 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 we still have our whole team with us. We still have our whole team. And so that's remarkable because, like, like humans, right? You know, we get tired of each other over, over the time. <laughs> Especially in the church planting world, I don't know anybody who is still, uh, the church planting team is still intact. Um, now that's either a testament to my awesomeness and my <laughs> winsomeness as a leader, or it's more of this overwhelming generosity and kindness from God. Something tells me uh, that it's the latter, right? <laughs> And so I, I don't want to go any further without honoring those who have been around from the very beginning. So if you were part of this original team, would you stand real quick? Hop up. And so, hey, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. Um, and so... You know, the, the front man tends to get a lot of the glow and the shine and the credit. But, you know, if you're a part of this house, you owe these people a debt of gratitude that you will never be able to fully understand. The sacrifices, the cost, the money, the time. Uh, you know, they have to deal with me, right? Uh, and so you don't know the cost that they've paid for us to experience what we experience today. And I am thankful your church is grateful. Um, I don't, we couldn't have done this without you guys. And so, guys, another round of applause, please, for us. You guys can have a seat. You can be seated. So, so we've come a long way in a, a relatively short time. And I guess if you're new around here or if you've just come in on the tail end of this, you might uh, wonder, how did we get here? Ten years, core team still intact, a diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural church. We've got this new building that's ours that we're slowly renovating. How did we get here? Well, let me just run you through it real quick. It all started, an African-American kid from the south side of Chicago, and in case you haven't figured it out, that's me. Grew up in a homogeneous environment, complete social network, churches, schools, friends, completely African-American. Fast forward to 1999, I graduate from uh, high school, moved down to the Urbana, Champaign-Urbana to go to the University of Illinois, and my world is instantly very different than anything I was accustomed to. I was surrounded by whiteness. <laughs> Nothing against whiteness, 
but it's, it's dizzying, it's overwhelming, particularly if you haven't, you know, if you don't have any experience. And so super uncomfortable environment, trying to find my way, feeling like a fish out of water in many ways, but the Lord gave me one of the greatest gifts he could ever give somebody, particularly somebody he's called to do what we do, he gave me some friends. Friends who were different, friends that didn't look like me, friends that didn't vote like me, friends that didn't talk like me. And through those awkward, uncomfortable friendships, God taught me to appreciate difference. The picture of some of my buddies, this is my freshman year of college, and the Lord just schooled me. He schooled me, changed my entire worldview. Uh, and so as I'm in college interacting with this, I, fast forward, I, I find the vineyard right? I find the vineyard, go to the vineyard, super white church. I mean, you can count the brothers on two fingers <laughs> on, a, on a good day, like on Easter, you know? <laughs> but the Spirit of God was there in that vineyard church. And the Lord met me there every single week. And I was just in this kind of lonely, uh, kind of in limbo, just trying to figure myself out, trying to find myself, trying not to lose myself. And every day, every Sunday I go to that church and I would just weep during worship. The Spirit of God would just rest it on me. And I began to fall in love with the vineyard, but still very frustrated that nobody seemed to be like bending toward me. Like I had to give up a lot of stuff in order to go to that church. In fact, on Wednesdays, I'd sneak over to an African-American church just to hear some black preaching, to hear some black songs, to see some black folks, right? But I was frustrated because none of my cultural needs were being met in this place, and it didn't, it didn't really seem to, to matter that much. And, and through what we call holy discontentment, a holy discontent welled up within me, and the Lord just said to me one day, hey, when you start your church, just make sure it's not that way. He said, if you start your church, or if it's in the cards for you, he said, when you start your church, make sure it's not that way. So what you see here was birthed out of holy discontent, birthed a vision, uh, a vision of, of diversity, a, a vineyard expression of a church that it was truly diverse, age diversity, gender diversity, socioeconomic diversity, and, of course, ethnic and cultural diversity. I wonder, could we do this in a vineyard context? Our sending pastor, Happy Layman, shortly before we went out to plant, he said, you know, what makes you think you can do this? At first I was put off by the question, but then I just answered it. I said, you give me, you know, a few $1,000 and a blank canvas, I think we can get this done. And I think, like, I think we got it done. But it was birthed out of holy discontent, and we begin to understand that diversity, as we say, is the means and not the end. Our goal isn't to just look good in the picture. Now, you look good in the picture. You, you look good. You should see yourselves. But this is not the end. It's the means we've discovered over the years. It's the means through which God does the slow work of the kingdom in your life to teach you to value difference, not just so you can love on each other and hear, this is easy, this is safe. But so that you will learn to value different people so that when you go to the real mission field, your work, the marketplace, where you go to school, you will already value difference. And all those people can experience God's kingdom, light, and love through you. That's what this is about. Holy discontent. The second thing uh, that's sort of the key to all this is a lean toward simplicity. A lean toward Simplicity, this is true because it is incredibly tempting to chase the spectacular and exciting. 
Isn't it true? It's especially uh, enticing for a church plant or a church leader to try to create a conference like high every Sunday uh, just so people can leave going, wow, what, what, what an awesome experience we had. But from the very beginning, God has challenged us through our vineyard values to lean toward what? Simplicity. Because if you major in the spectacular, guess what? You got to do that every week, Right? And when you're a church planter, meeting in a musty old basement, you can't really muster up that excitement. So we found it easier to lean toward simplicity. We only do a few things here. We preach, we sing, we pray, we radically love one another, and we repeat. And we do that in different little iterations. Somebody's always come and say, Preacher, when are we going to do this ministry? When are we going to have the tumblers flow through here? And when are we going to do this and that? God, listen, maybe down the road, maybe 10 years later we'll do that. But as for now, God said, lean towards simplicity. We're going to preach. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to invite the Spirit's presence. And we're going to do it again. Lean towards simplicity. The third thing we've tried to major in is living and ministering with an open hand. Which simply means that the people and the resources that God might choose to visit upon us are resting in an open hand such that they can pass through as God sees fit. Our motto is, if we don't have it, we don't need it. That goes for resources, that goes for personnel, Time has showed us, even recently, as this building campaign and moving, if God wants us to have it, no devil in hell can stop it. And if you're supposed to be here, you won't be allowed to leave. And if you're supposed to leave, Lord, please don't allow him to stay. An open hand. I was talking with my friend Jordan the other day. He said, what, what do you think the secret to this? Our core team still together? What do you think is this? I said, Jordan, simple. I think one of the things is that I don't need you, sir. And that might sound off-putting to somebody, for somebody to say, I don't need you, but think about what that really means. If I start to need you to be here, I can't be honest with you. If I need your resources, if I need your talent, I need your body, I can't, like, tell you what I'm supposed to tell you. I can't call you higher, which is my job. And so we've had this philosophy that we will love radically, but when God calls somebody else on, we will bless them on the way out of the door. And if God calls somebody to stay here, the sign that they're supposed to be here with us is that they will respond to the nudgings of the Spirit. They will respond to the voice of the leaders of this house as we all go higher. Nobody is exempt. And if you don't like it, there's about 12 doors just like that you can exit. That sounds callous, but that's our model. With an open hand. With an open hand. We got people in this room today who God has moved on to another church, and they will tell you that when they came and told us that God has called them on, for whatever reason, we called them up on their last Sunday, and we blessed them out of the door, and they come back here when they can. They show up at our Connect lunches. They come to our parties. They're still a part of our family. Open hand. Fourth thing we've tried to major in is a patient patient faith. One of the biggest lessons we've learned in all of this is to trust the slow work of God. If you're going to plant a church, you really don't have a choice. Everything's slow. 
got just a few folks, just got a little bit of money. You don't have the zip and pop and pizzazz that bodies bring. And so everything is slow, especially if you're trying to build something multi-ethnic, multicultural. I used to think that, hey, if the white church draws from white people, black church draws from black people, Latino church draws from Latino people, then we have an endless pot of people because we're doing a multi-ethnic thing. We're about to blow up. We did not blow up. <laughs> what we soon discovered is that we are actually fishing in a smaller pond because we're only gathering people who are willing to pay what it costs to not have all of their snacks all the time. People don't mind singing some songs they don't like or hearing some stories that they don't understand or having a joke or two go over their head so that somebody else might feel at home. Sometimes there's only a small percentage of people who were willing to do that. And so we've had to learn to work with a patient faith, trusting Jesus when he says, I will build my church. So, Gino, you can pitch in. You guys can help, but I'm going to build my church. And over the last 10 years, that's looked like sometimes one step forward, two, three steps back. You gain a family, and you lose two families. You finally get a drummer, then your guitar player leaves. (laughs) Slow work, but Christ has been faithful if you look around to build his church church and the Lord has said to us many times the sooner you figure out that this church was my idea and not yours the faster and farther you'll go a patient faith to watch God's glorious unfolding so you might ask preacher what's the way forward what big plans are on the horizon reveal the schematic to us today I I don't want to disappoint you but there's no big The Spirit of the Lord has said to us year after year with minor tweaks, the way in is the way on. We're going to preach, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to invite this Spirit, we're going to radically love people. We're going to do that over and over and over and over again. But we'll be setting out more chairs because more people will be coming to faith. We'll be adding more services because more people will be joining in the mission here. The way in is the way on. But I hear a stirring from the Spirit that says, don't you dare, don't you dare, son, get too big for your britches. Don't you dare become too experienced and too in demand to need my spirit to do this work. Don't you dare get lost in the trappings of buildings and people saying your name and people saying how wonderful it is, 10 years, your court team still intact, to, to, to lessen my dependence on the thing that has got us here, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the way forward for us, I feel compelled. I hear it in every vineyard room that I'm in this day, these days, the national conference. We were just in Wisconsin at our regional conference. What's the emphasis? A, a greater dependency on the Holy Spirit. That we might not be so buttoned up here. That we might not be so afraid to take risks. That I would not be the low ceiling of the work of the Spirit in this house because that tends to work the way it works, right? Like the the degree to which I lean in this is the degree to which we lean in this. So the way on for us is steady, trusting God with a greater dependence on the work of the Spirit, which means we'll take risks, there'll be more equipping, but we're going to depend on the Spirit in this church. Continue to pray, continue to sing, continue to preach, continue to radically love, invite the Spirit, and all along the way we will do what? We will share our stories of the great things that God has done 
which is how we're going to spend the remaining uh, moments that we have. We're going to hear some testimonies. Shannon and I, as the senior pastors, we get to hear often the stories of what God is doing. And sometimes you might be disconnected from all the things that God is is doing. But we're going to give you a, a bit of a window into that today as we share some testimonies from a few folks who I've asked to share prepared remarks. Nobody's going to preach. <laughs> Amen, Judge. Nobody's going to preach. Because uh, they have mute buttons on that board back there. So, Judge, uh, would you come on? Uh, would you guys welcome Judge and Dominique as they come to share? And then, uh, yeah, we'll keep it moving. We promise no one's going to no. preach. Um, so I'm Dominique Gardner. Um, this is my husband, Judge. We prepared some words. I'll just uh, read mine. Oh. Um, so it was one year ago today that I first walked through the doors of the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And as I took a seat, I realized that I had picked the wrong day to visit because it was the church anniversary service. I was immediately bummed because I felt like I wasn't going to get an opportunity to see what a Sunday at the Vineyard truly looked like, given this special occasion service. And that was frustrating for me, because I don't know about you, but I've come to realize that even with the easy access of the internet, finding a church home is hard work. As the service began, Pastor Gino stated that he would have members come and share testimonies of their experience at SSV, and that he would share a short sermon. Upon hearing the order of the service, I was intrigued because I knew this was probably better than coming on a typical Sunday morning. This was an opportunity to hear from the hearts of the people. The testimonies were impactful to me because I was able to hear firsthand stories of how specific members impacted each individual testimony. I'm sure the sermon was good too, But what stayed with me was the stories of those whose lives were changed as a result of this ministry. And here I am one year later sharing my testimony with you. If I could describe the place that I was in one year ago today, I would say that I was dried up. I found myself to be in spaces that left me more burdened than encouraged. I didn't find myself thriving and I certainly did not find myself in spaces that gave me life. And I think it would be safe to say that I had a classic case of burnout, whether it was a result of career or ministry. If I had certain gifts or talents, I didn't care. I was totally withdrawn. The first Sunday of the new year, my husband and I decided to step out on faith and begin the search for a a new church home. We were stepping into this process logically because logically we knew it was going to take quite some time to settle on a new church home. The goal was to try SSV together as a family, and if we started to see anything crazy, we would pivot and look elsewhere. The sermon on January 6, 2019 was so convicting for both myself and my husband. I can remember that we didn't share initial reactions. However, the next Sunday came around, and I asked him where he wanted to attend church that Sunday morning, and he said the sermon was good from the week prior, and so we tried SSV again. And soon after, every Sunday, we would go home, and I would try to gauge his reaction, and every week, we found ourselves back at SSV. And with that, I want to acknowledge the following people. Carla, Keely, Nikki, Amanda, Ananda, 
Jenny, Denise, Nakia, Geneva, Shantae, Yvette, Miss Debbie, Alicia, Annie, Mandy, Lisa, Lori, Miss Junie, Lena, Marisol, Nunia. I think it's important to acknowledge that the women of this church are so welcoming and kind. And to any other woman that I did not acknowledge, just know that I honor you. I'm still putting faces to names. I also want to honor Shannon, a woman who was stewarding so many things but took the time to have coffee with me and paid for my coffee. I had it in my mind that I would pay for hers, but she would not let me. And at the end of our conversation, she asked if there was anything that, sh- that I needed or if there was anything she could be doing for me. And I thought that was an interesting question. I didn't know how to respond because I come from a ministry where it was normal to honor your pastor. It led me to believe that her intent that evening was not only to get to know me, but also uh, to find out how she could be of service to me. Looking back, my husband and I had a very short list of needs uh, when searching for a new church home. A safe space for our daughter Isabella to learn the love of Christ. A place where the word of God was taught in a way that was convicting and accessible to all people. A community of people where we could build relationships, which would be a new journey for us. And so here we are today. I guess we never got the opportunity to pivot, and that's a great place to be. So I got to follow that. All right, here we go. Um, <clears throat> so my, my background is very uh, likely similar to a lot of folks here. Um, I grew up in the, the black um, Pentecostal church my entire life. Uh, you know, the hand clapping, the foot stomping, the, uh, the loud church that comedians make jokes about, um, and catching the Holy Ghost, that one. So uh, my parents were pastors um, at our local church. Um, so probably about three to four days a week were spent there. Um, naturally being there, you learned a lot of scriptures, songs, and stories, and the, the mandatory Christmas and Easter speeches about what it meant to love God, but um, I honestly never internalized what it truly meant. I had a healthy fear of God's wrath and a working understanding of faith, but knew little of grace or community. Uh, the last 10 years, uh, I've served as a leader under my father at a church that he founded about 15 years ago, and while I enjoyed serving along with my wife, Burnout was something that we had come accustomed to experience in a profound way. I knew that it was imperative that I gather my family and we find a place of worship, but I didn't have the courage to do so. Um, I love the church, I love the people, and I love my father. And I didn't want to disappoint him or my mother. Um, I knew he really, truly loved God and wanted the best for, for, for God's people. So I reasoned that we could endure and push through the burnout, and eventually everything would be okay. Um, however, eventually God just kept impressing on me that I needed to gather my family and seek out something for us. So after much prayer and, uh, some goading by my wife, uh, on the first Sunday of the year, 2019, we decided to head out South to some church she had mentioned to me. I distinctly remember having a conversation with her as like this. All right. So we'll go here a few Sundays and maybe include another place or two. And we'll sit and watch. If I see some shenanigans, we out of here. Um, (laughs) What we found when we got here was something really unexpected. Um, I wasn't accustomed to a multicultural, multi-ethnic church, but the warmth that we were welcomed with, the smiles at the door seemed genuine. I believe uh, Shantae was the greeter at the door that day, and my wife was really happy to see that. Um, so I looked around the room during worship, and I saw young 
and the, the, the young at heart of all races, background, economic classes. Oh, okay. Economic classes worshiping together. Um, the music was something that I wasn't necessarily accustomed to, but I felt at peace in a meaningful way. Uh, yet and still, I was skeptical. I, I said to myself, um, oh, thank you. I said to myself, um, all right, let's see what the sermon is like. If it's a feel-good, warm, and fuzzy Jesus message that doesn't convict, I'm done. I think the sermon that day was something akin to making wise choices, specifically where you worship. Uh, Gino preached on the need to be planted someplace where the word can reach you and feel community. I think at the end of the service, I spoke to David Jacob briefly and, and, and Bobby and, and maybe Esteban too. I can't exactly remember, but the men were particularly welcoming. And that definitely piqued my interest. Um, typically, men in church are a bit more closed off, um, kind of get in, get out kind of guys. And, but the men here were welcoming to me. Um, eventually, one service, Curtis invited me out with the guys to men's breakfast. And uh, David Jacob invited me to Curtis's house. And I didn't really understand how he invited me to somebody else's house. But he invited me to Curtis's house <laughs> um, for a men's only hangout that really resonated with me. Um, we just hung out ate food, listened to music, played some terrible hands of spades. Um, although Ramon and I got better by the end of the night, we were still terrible. Uh, but there was no shenanigans, and that was powerful to me. Um, so we continued to come back the next few Sundays, and the sermons and the fellowship continued to challenge us. So we opened up a little bit more, uh, came to some fellowship and outreach events, joined a small group, lost a kickball game, ate some Subway, I almost let Mark Roberson convince me to play basketball with a bunch of teenagers. Um, nope, I did not do it. Um, I slipped up and told Gino, Alicia, and Jim Maldonado that I played the drums. Um, I, please, I appreciate their patience, though, that they show when I struggle through songs that don't get them just right. I promise you I'm going to get better. Um, we eventually even allowed Nikki and Jordan to convince us to have our daughter in children's church. And that was an ordeal at first because she does not do well with strangers. But I knew something was special when she got in the car after service one Sunday and said, come Holy Spirit. I'll finish here, but the sermons continue to convict and challenge me as a man and as a father um, to need the need to lead my family, to love my wife, to be a good steward of my time and finances, to love and serve God and his people, to deal with the preconceived notions about worshiping in a multicultural settings and the need to make less of myself. The power of community and the need to have the Holy Spirit working in every aspect of our lives, the desire for God to do miraculous things through prayer and fasting, the financial tr transparency and clarity in giving, the need for the Holy Spirit in reconciling race relations here in the United States and abroad. I am so appreciative of the South Suburban Vineyard and the folks here, how accepting you have been of us, my wife and I, how we've seen God change things in our lives just by being here Sunday after Sunday and now Fridays and sometimes Saturdays. Um, our faith in God has grown exponentially. Our desire to have God working in us to live the good life. We found joy and peace and community. We've grown here. I've seen my wife grow here. And my daughter's love for God take flight here. Thank you, brother. See, I knew, I knew he was going to preach. I knew he was going to preach. <laughs> Why don't you welcome Anita Gadea up? Hey, as she comes real quick, one of the things that we do when we tell testimonies, well, one of the things we say around here is if my life is on mission, then my name is going to come up in people's testimonies. 
And so I've asked people as they share their testimonies to not be shy about naming the people who have made a specific impact on them. And so we'll hear Anita's story. I want to thank Pastor Gino for inviting me to share my testimony. I want to thank my mom for coming to hear it. I also want to thank my parents for not making church an option for me when I was growing up. Although I did stray from the righteous path, those teachings were imprinted on me. They stayed with me. At my lowest, when I was alone and afraid and empty and nothing, I would remember the songs from Sunday school and those verses that I memorized. They were my protective armor during the worst times of my life. And it took me a minute, but something inside me always reminded me to call upon the Lord. So I know what that means when they say the faith of a mustard seed. I spent years in therapy working on my issues, but still, despite any of the accomplishments I made, anything I had done, I found myself empty and angry quick-tempered, and generally dissatisfied with my life. I had seen so many good people, good God-fearing people die, and I would think of all the bad choices I made, and yet I'm still here. And I would think, God gives us chances. How many chances do I have left? Then about a year ago, it was a Saturday morning, August 25th, 2018, I was driving on the 294, going to kayak. And I had just passed under the Hinsdale Oasis. And something just went out in the lane in front of me. And I'm like, oh, it's like a bag, you know. Garbage is on the highway. But <laughs> just as I braced myself to study the car just to go over it, because you can't stop, you can't get out of the lane, it's traffic everywhere, I realized it was a big cement block. And I held on to the wheel, and I just thought, God, help me. I don't know what happened. I eventually I figured out the car cut out, so I wasn't even going by gas. So I, know, I feel like I checked my mirrors, but I don't know. It just felt like a magical conveyor belt got me through three lanes of traffic, past the off-ramp from the Hinsdale Oasis where I can see all these semi-trucks, and it looked like they were coming at me. And I ended up perfectly pulled over on the shoulder, and you would think that I had purposely parallel parked there. I just sat for a minute, and I was like, I'm okay. And I thank God in that moment. And then Logical Anita said in, and I called my insurance, organized a tow and rental car, called my parents, made a post on Facebook. Fortunately, my cousin Keely saw it, and she texted me. She's like, hey, do you need a ride? And I'm like, yeah, if you could meet me at the mechanics, that would be great. And then I sat there waiting for the tow truck. And then that's when that cry from the gut came out. And I just ugly cried in my car, knowing full well all of the things that could have gone wrong. I could have been hurt. My car could have been totaled. I could have hurt somebody spinning out or whatever. And under most circumstances in my life, I'd have been like, that's my mad driving skills. I got mad driving skills. But not this time. I knew there was no way I got off that highway without hurting myself or anyone else except by the grace of God. And later that day, I shared that story with a friend of mine, and she said, you better get to church, Anita. And I did feel compelled to go, but I just didn't know where to go. 
And then sometime during the week, um, my cousin Keely and her mom, my Aunt Virginia, had been visiting churches, and Keely just sent me a text, said, hey, we're going to visit a church on Sunday. You want to go? I didn't even know where it was. I just said, text me the address. I will be there. <laughs> and I said, you know, I really needed that. <laughs> so when I first walked through those doors, it was September 2nd of last year, and Thaddeus Circe was giving the sermon. It was, why alcoholics are better than Christians, and I said, hey, that sermon's for me. <laughs> and Joey was on the keyboard, and I thought, wow, he sounds just like Michael McDonald. And uh, Pastor Thaddeus opened the sermon with 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And he had to say it out loud. I am the worst sinner. It all made some kind of sense to me. The church wasn't a place of judgment, but rather a place of fellowship where we support each other's journey to be more Christ-like, not judge each other. I just felt like I belonged here, and I kept coming ever since, but it was like the bait and switch because at first week it was the visitors from Freedom Church. <laughs> But, you know, following, I would hear Pastor Gino's sermons, and every time I would leave here feeling convicted, every time I would feel like that word was meant for me and there's something I could take and apply to my life, something to give me hope, something to give me peace. And after, you know, I'm good at hiding and blending in a crowd, but after a few times, Pastor Shannon found me and invited me out for coffee. And, uh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, in general, everybody was just warm and friendly and welcoming, and I actually, I told them, I, I like the greetings in the morning that we give each other to start the service with. That, that really made a positive impact on me, and uh, right away, I started going to Diane's Walking Through the Bible, 6.15 a.m. Bible study at Panera, <laughs> and I said, well, you know, if I could get up to work out, then I could get up to go to that Bible study. Well, the working out has fizzled out, but I still make it to the Bible study. <laughs> now I'm trying to get back to making it to work out. And uh, so through these small group sessions, I have learned to quiet my own voice and learn to hear the voice of God talking to me so it's not... Anita's ideas, but God's speaking to me and letting me know what he wants me to do. And Diane has read the Bible several times over, and I'm beginning to see why she calls the Bible the living word, because there truly is a new message. You know, God has a message for us, and it, it, it's living. It responds to what we need. And uh, I've had some pretty powerful prayer sessions with Yvette and Denise, and Wow, I'm thankful for that because in these prayers, I have felt the hand of God touch me, and I have learned how to reframe my prayers and hear God better. So I, I really appreciate all the people that have checked in on me, especially Yvette. It's like she, you know, God tells her when, you know, she just knows, she just walks up to me, Anita, I feel like you need to pray, and I appreciate that because I did. <laughs> and, uh... I appreciate all of my mentors in faith, especially my Aunt Virgie, 
but of course Yvette and Diane and Helen. You guys have made such a difference in my life, and I just want you all to know how I appreciate it. And uh, it wasn't until I put my testimony into words that I realized I'm not so angry anymore. And uh, I'm feeling pretty content with my life. And so I've taken the long road to fully acknowledge that I need Jesus at the foundation of my life instead of me doing my own thing and thinking of God as an emergency life raft. I need him there daily. And so I'm glad God led me to SSV to learn to lean in on him on a daily basis and to grow in my faith with this wonderful community of supportive people. And so thank you all. I appreciate you all. Thank you. Uh, would you welcome Dr. John Frederick as he comes to share his story? Good morning. So, uh, my name is John Frederick. Um, everybody hearing me? Okay. So, um, I'm from the Caribbean, born in a little island called St. Vincent. That journey brought me here. That journey was fraught with a lot of ups and downs. Um, when my wife and I moved to Frankfurt, we were looking for a church home. And um, at that time, I was going through quite a bit. Um, struggle. I had these board exams, American Board of Internal Medicine exams. Did well in residency, but for some reason, struggling with this exam. And the Lord was talking to me, but I couldn't understand. So essentially what happened was through searching for a church home, The emotion was there, and I was searching for help. I went to one pastor one time, and he told the first thing he said to me is, "Are you looking from? Are you are you, are you in need of money?" I said, "No, I'm not in need of money." Um, and he, you know, he handed me off, and I said, "I told Tracy, my wife, I said, I'm not going back to that church," and um, we left. So, over a period of time, my wife, you know, I stayed home. I didn't go to church. My wife was searching and she came up at Vineyard Church here in South Suburb. And she came home and she said to me, listen man, you got to come to this church. And she, she said, you know, you're going to love it. You're going to love the past. You're going to love the people. I said, oh, I'm very cynical. And I don't know if it's on my analytical mind, but when I see uh, certain things and when I'm judged, you know, immediately I say, well, this can't be a church of God because, you know, why would you judge me, ask me if, I, if I'm looking for money, money, you know. So anyway, I came to the service and the Lord pierced me. I heard Pastor Olson preach that morning and tears were rolling down my eyes. And I said, I need help. Because the problem with um, us human beings is when we're alone, when we have pain, when we have failure, and we're asking God to show up, it's a struggle. I went to Pastor Olison and I did the test again. Same thing I said to that pastor, I said to him. And lo and behold, first thing he did was he 
gave me a hug. He said, you know, you look like you have a lot on your shoulder. Here's my number. Let's exchange numbers, and I want to meet with you this week. And we're going to sit down and talk about what's happening. Long story short, we sat down, and I was blown away. Um, my sister, my, my parents always taught me that love is a verb. And that's Pastor Olson. Without knowing me from, from Adam. He said, listen, man, I can't write this exam for you. I've failed this exam multiple times. And he said, you know what? You got to prioritize God in your life. And I said, okay. Now, this year was tremendously painful because I lost my mother. Um, surprisingly, you know, just traumatic year. And now my professional future lay in the balance to get you to understand the scope of my struggle my contract wouldn't be renewed I have financial responsibilities and when you're not board certified even though you've passed all the exams finished residency I'm a practicing physician everything is fine you have this exam that they make you have to jump over to you know get some uh, benefit professional benefit from it and so just to give you an understanding of that pain when I came to Pastor Olison was to see how I can look at, get back into that exam room. See, the problem with getting up from failure is that, you know, and I'm not preaching, just that <laughs> at that time, at that time, I could, not, I could not get up on my own. And that's where this church came in because he helped me get up. And again, the, probably that Sunday before I wrote that exam, Diane and David prayed with me. We've been going to uh, Nunyan Craig's home, and I don't think, I never shared my pain with anybody. Pastor Olson is the only person who knew, and I felt welcomed. Those folks genuinely care. And I didn't want to burden people with, with what I was facing because, you know, as a physician, you... You always believe, oh, you can, you can handle the world on your shoulders. You know, people dying, I, I do it all the time. That Sunday, I went to Diane and David, and I said, you know, I have this big exam on Wednesday. And it's an exam I've failed multiple times, and this is it. If I don't pass this exam, even though I have seven years to pass this exam, I'm going to lose my job. I have a very good job. And they prayed with me. This gentleman right here, I can't begin to tell you, makes me emotional because he's a very humble guy, but he's been with me since June, checking up on me, meeting with me, making time for me, and providing that necessary support for me to overcome. I wrote that exam, folks, and you don't get the result immediately. You, it, the result, you write it in August, you get the result in uh, September, so late September, early October. Needless to say, I'm American Board of Internal Medicine certified now. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you're sitting in this audience right now, especially young people, and believing that you can't get up from failure, you're in the right church, you're among the right people. And I implore you to give God a chance to work in your life.
Because like Gino said, he puts the right people around me. Right. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Has a new ring to it, doesn't it? Would you give a warm welcome to Tarn Mixon, please? My introduction to SSV happened about three and a half years ago. Um, a ministry that my husband and I are part of came here to do a self-defense workshop for the ladies group. Now, coming in, I already knew Mandy, and it was so comforting to have a familiar, friendly face when we got here. So thank you for that. While Mandy was the only familiar face, she was far from the only friendly face. I specifically remember Yvette and India from that evening, too. They made me feel welcomed, appreciated, even enjoyed. When my husband and I left the church building that evening, we talked about how different this place felt, how different the people felt. A little over a year ago, our family found ourselves in a situation where we were looking for a place to attend church. And we remembered how we felt here, decided to give it a try. Fourteen months later, we haven't tried a second church yet. We keep... Yeah, we keep coming back because every week when we come, we feel that welcome. We feel that acceptance and warmth. We hadn't been here more than a few weeks before we attended the uh, Christmas dinner at the Allison home. I remember very specifically Shantae sitting with our awkward family in a small space. I remember the twins uh, talking to us about Fortnite and teaching me how to floss and do the orange justice. <laughs> I would prove it, but my children would kill me. Jordan and Nikki Arsenault opened their home for a Friday night couples small group. And even on nights that Sean and I were the only couple who showed up, they made us feel like we were worth the time and commitment. They prayed with us. They listened to our stories. They counseled us. They were a very important part of our spiritual journey and recovery and healing. I was also a part of a women's book club that met in Allison Middleman's home. A group of incredible women gathered there. We had very beautiful but difficult conversations. Leisha, Ananda, Sabrina, I will never forget the stories you shared. They forever changed the way I view the world. Thank you for your openness. Shannon, immediately likable, knowable, lovable, friendly, kind, warm, funny, but I think what I like best about you is the way you're ready with a word from the Lord. You're hearing from the Spirit and able to encourage people in the moment with his words. But really what won me over was the way you pursued my oldest daughter. Yeah, she took you guys out for coffee. I mean, she blew Katrina's phone up, texting her, calling her, reaching out to her. Katrina says it wasn't like this obligatory church leader or pastor's wife or pastor thing, but she really felt cared for, and I appreciate that. If the way to a mother's heart is through her children, the way to a wife's heart is through her husband, Bobby. One of my favorite stories is the way Sean came home from a work day here at the church and talked about how you guys had connected. It made him stronger. It made my family stronger. It made a difference for us. Thank you. I can't recall ever being in a place that more represents the diversity of God's kingdom, racially, socioeconomically, culturally, generationally. It's a place that a misfit family like mine 
finally fits. God's word is preached. No holds barred. You could, you could take it back a little. Sometimes you could spare us a little bit. No holds barred. The worship is sincere. If I can shout out Leisha twice. Girl, the first time I heard you sing, it was like, I mean, really sing. She kind of got there this morning, but when she real like heaven's gates open up. There's room for the Holy Spirit to move in the services, which, believe it or not, is an, a newer experience for, for me, a newer church experience. So why do we come to SSV? Why do we keep coming to SSV? I think that's pretty obvious. The question I have for myself and for God is, what took us so long? We have one more, uh, and I know we've gone a little bit over, and I don't want our kids' people to be mad with us, but I, I want you to hear this last uh, testimony. So would you give a warm welcome to Nikea? Good morning. My name is Nikea Tannehill, and I've been going to the SSV for almost five years now. Um, and when I think about my time in this community, it all points me back to God's redemptive and transformative power. Um, when I found this church in 2015, I had actually recently moved home from college. So I was graduated, I was unemployed, and I was a silent survivor of sexual assault. And so the last few weeks of my undergraduate career have been this painful blur marked by shame and paranoia and kind of disassociation. So I was really looking for a way to start over. And I had grown up in a Christian home where church was respected, but it wasn't required. And my childhood church had kind of become this stadium-sized mega church where we observed tradition and ceremony, but I could never really explain why, and I wanted something a little different. So I let Google lead the way. <laughs> and I, I searched for churches in the south suburbs, and I stumbled across the vineyard. Um, and that day, I actually added Sunday service to my calendar, and I ambitiously registered for a beginner's class. I really commit. <laughs> um, but to my surprise, I hadn't found any elements at SSV that I had been raised to believe were mandatory in a house of worship. In fact, I specifically remember being upset because we didn't have praise dancers. <laughs> And I was indignant. And I'm like, how can this place possibly feel the presence of God if you don't have praise dancers? And, and where are the deacons? And, and where's the usher board? <laughs> Just mad. And I actually remember taking that up with Gino during my first few weeks. And he was so patient and kind while I was fuming. And he said, at SSV, we make disciples. And that's how we roll, and that's what we're about. I paraphrase a little bit, but that was kind of, yeah. <laughs> and in time, I... I learned that I look back and I think about all the ways that God has used this community to do just that in my life and to rebuild me into a true disciple when I was set on making destructive decisions. And so week after week, I, I kept showing up, and sometimes I was wearing the exact same outfit I wore the night before in my brokenness. But in time, I learned that one of the best things about being fed here is that you can't possibly go here and serve here and do life here and not be changed. You can't opt out. Um, and so I even, I think about an initial season where I was crippled by anxiety and Mark Roberson prayed over me until the lights came on at night of worship. And...
and as he was praying over me, he made me keep saying, God's got me, until I believed it. And he didn't know it, but Eugene would later echo that prayer at another night of worship. And we sat side by side, and he shared this really powerful word about how he could see heaven and darkness fighting for me. And so to that point, I had viewed this church thing as just this hobby, and it's this feel-good thing that I do, and I have my life on the side. But I'm grateful that my family here saw this greater God-sized promise in me and that they never stopped showing me that. And there are so many people across different cultures and across generations that have helped me find my place here. And they've lovingly hunted me down and shot me that text when I didn't show up at service or outreach or connect lunch. They've known where to find me when I wasn't where I said I was going to be. People like Mandy and Alicia and the Robersons and the Mayos and spiritual titans like Miss Diane and Miss Cassandra and Miss Helen. All these people have seen me act out in brokenness, and they've looked beyond that to call me to a more powerful position in Christ. They let me talk their ears off over coffee and put a dent in their couches. The Robertsons got a real nice couch, y'all. And they let me reach out to them in my lowest moments. They weren't afraid to rub up against me. And they pushed me to make tough choices and to stand by my word and to transition from being the survivor of my circumstances to a conqueror who's added victory to her vocabulary. And so today, it's been at least a year and a half since my counselor and I decided to part ways. And yeah. And on that day, she congratulated me on the progress I made. Um, and she gave me her vote of confidence to push past anxiety. And in almost five years here, I've been honored to serve in our student ministry and to grow roots on our worship team and to meet the cute guy who eventually became my fiance. <laughs> And so I, I never saw myself as a leader. I always counted myself out as the most broken or the biggest mess. I just kind of lay back and evade a standard because I figured if I messed up, I didn't have anything to ruin. But what I love about the SSV is that we meet folks in that doubt, and we don't allow them to stay there. We call them higher as Christ does, and we keep inviting them back, and we keep calling them loved until one day they look up, and they're surrounded by this village and they're knee-deep in this calling that's bigger than what they ever imagined. I've been graced to rewrite my story in a community that I didn't think I would last in. And the transformations we've seen, including my own, speaks volumes to how God moves here. And I love being a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. So needless to say that this is, uh, I'm sorry, this is, that's, this is my favorite part of celebration, is the hearing how not just us, but we have come together and, and made an impact on people's life. And listen, if we had the time, everybody could come up and give their story, and names would come up, right? And so we want to thank God for what he's done, because this worship service is just one expression of what we do, but, you know, real life happens in what we say in circles and not rows, life on life face-to-face, and so I'm thankful for all of you who partner with us. We're well over our time, and so we're going to enter a time uh, of worship.
Um, but let me just close this part with, with prayer as we transition to worship. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the slow work of the kingdom of God that uses broken, selfish, burnt-out people to be a blessing to other people. God, you could do this all yourself if you wanted to, but somehow you choose to use us instead. So, Father, I pray that that would continue. And as we worship you today, in response to all that you've done, would your presence and your power meet us here? We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.